Uh, Father, we thank you that you are steadfast, uh, that you offer yourself as a refuge for us, uh, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of your name and your glory. Um, ask once again that you would allow our time together in your word to be a time of refreshment, uh, a time in which uh, you would be honored first and foremost in all of our hearts. In your name, amen. something like kind of a pattern in the writings of Paul or many of the writings of Paul. And that is in these epistles to various churches, he begins with uh, some, some elaboration of the gospel, uh, some exposition of the truth of the word of God. Um, it's in what we might call in, in uh, grammatical terms, uh, in, it's written in the indicative, that is in the statement of indication, things that are true. <coughs> and then, having done that, to uh, go on to spell out the implications of that truth. And uh, we would say in most of the church today, we'd say the applications of that truth. Though I often find that the implications aren't very applicable. Uh, or, well, one way of saying this is he shifts from uh, an indicative form to an imperative form. The imperative form is the form of commandment, something that ought to happen if that is true. Now, when I say the form of commandment, that doesn't always mean commandment, but it sometimes just means implication. Like, this should follow from this. But it does tend to move then into the area of, you know, everyday life, maybe is a way of saying it. And that is certainly the pattern that's followed in the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you've got your Bible, you we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, where he says, I therefore... So therefore is typically the way to this begins. Uh, you see this in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you. 
It's like exactly what he says here. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. So I exhort you, I challenge you, might be a good way to say it. I challenge you. So here in the book of Ephesians, and it's typical in Paul's writings where they follow this pattern, that that's this statement that's at the front end of this section is going to be sort of a summary, like a title even, on what then he will unfold. So he's going to say, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk. Oh, so this is going to be about practical life. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I'm sort of reading that like this. To walk in a manner worthy of your actual calling as opposed to some other way or some other calling. No, this calling. So this is sort of knocking our head a little bit to say to walk in a way that reflects all these things that I've just expounded to you in the first part of the text. Now we have to deal with this word worthy because here's how we like to read it. Here's how regular old people, if you're just reading your Bible, you're going to accidentally take it this way because it's hard not to. We're going to read it like this. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that deserves the calling with which you were called. To walk in a manner that deserves the calling with which you, that's how we read worthy. But that's not a good reading. And it's not a good reading uh, in just sound biblical exegesis. It's not a good reading of this word. This word is, is a word for weight and balance. And what he's saying is, I, I urge you to walk in a manner that takes measure of the weight of this calling that gives due consideration to this calling that aims at living out this calling it's the call and of course if we've come to understand this calling It's a calling to recognize the reality of God's blessing to us in Christ. It's not a... There's, there's not been a single commandment in it. There's not been a, hey, you're called to uh, be faithful to your wife, to never lie, cheat, steal, kill. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's the abundant grace of God poured out into the life of the church. The fullness of Christ in the life of the church. And he's saying now, therefore, I urge you to give due weight to that reality in your actual life. 
walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Then he goes on, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called, there's that word, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, in all, who fills all in all. I hear that echo from chapter one. And uh, you get the impression that the oneness of things is kind of important here. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. It's like he's trying to invent ways to use the word one again. One Lord, one faith, one God, one Father of all. Well, what is the nature of this calling? There's, a, there's like a series of little participle clauses here, but the, the summary is this. It's verse 3 eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Do you hear chapter 2? He himself is our peace. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, I think that really is kind of the summary statement of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so I want to explore these words a little bit. The word eager is the word for hurry. <laughs> what are you in a hurry to do? What are you quick on? Responsive to? Ready to act? Maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word maintain is one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. It's the word tereo. It's what shepherds do with sheep. They keep on Christmas night. There were some shepherds out around near, in the hills near Bethlehem keeping their flocks by night. Same word. Keep. Keep. Watch after. Look after. Keep an eye out for this. So he's saying, look, I urge you to really be on your toes to watch out for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The thing Christ made on the cross when He tore down the barrier and made one new man and reconciled that new man to God. That unity of the Spirit. Oh yeah, we read about that in chapter 1 when he 
gave the Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance. And so, the, and when he called upon the Spirit to, uh, to strengthen us with power in the inner man so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Oh yeah, that keeping, be watchful. What's the thing you're worried about? Hey, we need to get on this because the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is at stake in that thing over there, that issue. Keep an eye on that. Watch out for that. Treasure and guard the fellowship of the body of Christ. I think we don't know how important that is. The fellowship of the body of Christ. We are certainly enjoying it this weekend here. It's fantastic. It is a true brotherhood. And we, did you know this? I, don't, I got distracted in my own head just now. Did you, know, did you know what the most common word used in the New Testament for a Christian is? I found this out recently and I don't even remember why. Brothers. I do remember why because I was teaching a men's breakfast series about the one new man where we were talking about the organic nature of the church and noticing that one of the principal metaphors for the church in the New Testament is the metaphor of the family of God. It's not the company of God. It's not the club of God. It's the family of God. And this is on almost every page of the New Testament every time it uses the word brothers to refer to ordinary Christians. We are brothers. We should watch after that. And that, I think, must mean watch after each other. Like actually share life together. I might be getting ahead of myself. But we're called to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. To treasure, guard, keep an eye out for the depth, the quality, the scope of our fellowship. Our family in Christ. Now he uses some phrases in this text to describe the mindset that does this. He says, with all humility... You might not notice right away, but humility is a relational term. It can only happen in a relation. And the word humility is literally to put yourself under. 
So we are called to be in a humility contest. I remember when I was a kid one time, my grandmother was visiting us, and we were all getting in the car to go somewhere. My dad was driving. And my mother and my grandmother, two of the most godly women I've known in my whole life, had an argument. I was a really little kid, so this was really kind of shocking. It's probably why I remember this. Here's what they, they were arguing over who got to sit in the front seat. It's like children. Shotgun. That's what they were arguing about. But they were doing it wrong. Because they were each arguing that the other should sit in the front seat. I'll sit in the back with these monsters. You take the front seat. No, you take the... And they were literally arguing over it. That's what we're... There was a humility battle. Here's who won in the humility battle, the Lord Jesus. Who, according to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, you've read this, right? humbled himself to be one of us because oh my goodness that was the most giant step down ever taken the one who didn't think it was any big deal to say he was equal with God emptied himself and became one of us but he wasn't done with that finding himself in the form of a man a bondservant, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He continued to humble him. This is why Israel rejected him as their Messiah, by the way. Because the Messiah is not supposed to be humble. He's supposed to be conqueror. But he humbled himself. How far did he go? All the way. All the way. He put himself beneath every last human being ever made. To the point of dying the death of the cross. He said this, the son of man didn't come to serve but to, or to be served but to serve. He said this, whoever would make himself first should put himself last. Who was he talking about? He did that. Literally last. I'm going to just guilt trip you a little bit now. If you're looking down on anybody, you're not with Jesus. He put himself below everybody. So if you want to be with Jesus, you got to lower yourself. He said that too. Now, yeah, okay, take that for what it's worth. But the mindset is humility. That the the whole church, our interaction should sound like, no you, no you, no you. We should be fighting over last place. 
Well, uh, gentleness. This is giving me issues because I was yelling at software tech support people this week. Not gentle. With all humility, gentleness, patience. Uh, that's the word long-suffering. That just doesn't sound good, does it? Long-suffering. And then it's enduring. The, the translation here in the ESV is bearing with one another. The, that's nice. Enduring each other. Putting up with each other. And the effect of all of this is watch out for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Keep your eye on that. Be ready to go to war for that. For your brother. Yeah. And the reason given for this is there's only one body. One. One spirit. One hope. Same hope we all share. We are one body. We should look after our fellowship. How good is it? How broad is it? How deep is it? It's a thing to grow. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a ho Oh, sorry, I skipped a bit, didn't I? He says, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one. Oh. We're getting to the each one part. Each one. According to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, he gave gifts to men. Then he goes on this thing about ascending and descending and so on. In verse 11 he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, Oh, by the way, the, that, that phrase is one set of people, the shepherds and teachers. Uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, he gave gifts to men. So we come in the book of Ephesians to a discussion of gifts. And then we have some of the gifts named, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, or pastor teachers. And we've come to call those the equipping gifts because here it says they're given for the equipping of the saints. Well, what's the gift here? I think this is a, 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 an important thing to notice in any discussion of spiritual gifts. And if you were to discuss the nature of spiritual gifts based on, say, 1 Corinthians, uh, you wouldn't see this. But here you do. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers. He gave the people 
the gifted people were the gift. Gave it, gave them to who? Well, the body for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service. So, a spiritual gift is given to the Christian who is given to the church. And even in 1 Corinthians, the, pur- the only purpose given for the gifts of the Spirit is the edification of the church, the building up of the church, not for my individual enjoyment. In fact, Paul's purpose in writing that whole section about the gifts in 1 Corinthians is to get them to tone down all that spiritual gift stuff. It's like he's saying, could you guys shut up about your spiritual gifts? All you're doing is getting together and having a spiritual gift show-off party. And you're not, you know, you don't even know which ones are the most important. And here, though, it's, it's, not, it's different. And it has no corrective purpose. It, here, what he's saying is he gave the apostles to the church. The gift is the person. Oh, that's a good insight. That means if you have the gift of, uh, I don't know, name one, serving. If you have the gift of serving, what's that for? Well, he gave you that gift and he gave you with that gift to the church for the purpose of serving, for the purpose of edification of the church. He goes on, for the the work of service, these gifts, the four he mentions here, are for the equipping of the saints. So, equipping for what? For the work of service. It's interesting because work there is a, is a singular word. I'm, I'm working on that. The work of service, not the works of service. Well, okay. We might come back to that. What's the nature of our work of service? Well, he says it, of course. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of service for building up the body of Christ. The word building up, we translate it edify, edification of the body. We tend to think of it as some kind of cheerleading, some kind of uh, word of encouragement, right? Like if I'm edifying you, that means I'm building you up. That means I'm encouraging you. I'm saying, go get them, guy, you know, you can do it. That's edification. That's how we think of this. But this word means, literally means construction. <laughs> so we could read this like this. Uh, Sorry, I've got to find my place. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the construction of the body of Christ. Jesus said, I will construct my church. Here's the thing. In Christ, we participate in the construction of the church. 
the building up of the church. That's the purpose of this work of service. Into what, we might ask? What's the goal of this building of the church? He's going to answer that question. He says, until... That's like saying, here's how you'll know when you're done. We all attain to the unity. <laughs> I mean, come on, Paul. We get it already. One, 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 unit, until we preserve the unity, until we all get to the unity. It's embarrassing when the preacher gets texted during the message. Uh, but anyway, uh, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, that those two things, there's, there's two things that make the unity here. Uh, this is in the construction in the Greek sentence, so I'm going to try to see if I can figure out how to explain this. There's a unity that is the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That unity has those two aspects. Okay? That's what we're attaining to until we reach that. Till all of us arrive at the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Knowledge of the Son of God here is a, a personal knowledge. It's like what we mean when we say, do you know Christ? Yeah. I've come to know Christ. That's what we're talking about. And then there's this amazing expression so we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then in the ESV, it says, to mature manhood. And I'm like, ah. I want to hit the buzzer on the translators. Here's what it says. To a mature man. I wonder who that is. To a mature man. Until we all attain. To the unity. To a mature man. I, I don't see how you read this. And don't see that that is the one new man. That Christ made in chapter 2. That is the body of Christ. The fullness of Christ. And then he. Seals the deal with. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we are the image of Christ. Until Christ has fully occupied our hearts by the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit operating through faith. He's repeating himself. He's saying this another way. And he's saying, look, there's a diversity among us. God has given each of us to the support of the 
construction of the church that Christ is building. And he said, he's saying, look, we will engage the work of service until we all come to the unity that our faith produces. Until we all come to the full knowledge of the Son of God. Until we all are the mature man. The full stature. <laughs> the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a... Well, that's the same high understanding of what, a, what the church is that we've been talking about all along. And we form that together. That's our opportunity together. By a simple service in the body. This is about how each of us contributes to the Christ-likeness of the church. Our diversity is for our unity. I'm going to say that again. Our diversity is for our unity. We are more one because we're not all alike. And we complement one another. And we serve, one serves this way and one serves that way. One has this character and personality. One has that character and personality. One has a more ability to show the compassion of Christ. And another has more ability to show the, the uh, what word am I looking for? The, the, uh, hard truth. You know, Jesus was full of grace and truth. How does he pull that off? But anyway, he does, and so do we when we are this. When we grow into him. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, scheming, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. This is about how each of us has a part in, a function in our functioning together so that together we exhibit Christ in the world. It is not up to you to do everything. It's up to do you to do your things. <laughs> it is not up to you to do everything. If our project is the missionary project, if our project is the evangelization of the community we live in where there are all these poor lost people. It's not up to you. It's us. 
Some of us bring different skills to that endeavor, that great high calling of announcing the good news of God's blessing. So uh, we don't each one bear the full responsibility of representing Christ. We bear that responsibility together. Oh, that actually is going to be really liberating if we can figure out how to work it. So, he says, we ought to grow up. Now, I already read that text. Not remaining children so that we may no longer be children tossed fruit to and fro by waves. Wow, that's hard to say. Tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Have you noticed any doctrinal breezes? Man alive, the world is full of doctrinal breezes. They are going every which way, inside and outside the church. There's nutty stuff. And what, what makes you safe? in the doctrinal storm. Well, maybe you should go to school and learn all the sound doctrine. Jeremy's doing that. I did that. Ugh, it was horrible. <laughs> Am I right? You've done that. You know what I'm talking about, Ryan? You can validate, right? It's horrible. It's worth it. But it's not for everybody. What keeps you safe? What, how do you remain on board in the doctrinal storm? You're with the rest of us. That's how. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I got, you know, kind of worried because all these kids are graduating from high school. That means they're graduating from church and they're going off to some university somewhere. And, you know, I'm talking about in the 1990s when that wasn't nearly as dangerous as it is now. They're going off to some university somewhere where some really intelligent person who knows his stuff is going to tell them how stupid it is to be a Christian. What will keep them safe in that doctrinal storm? Are they connected? That's what. Are they connected? That's the only thing. Do they have a strong fellowship with the body? Because if they do, then they know somebody who knows how to answer those challenges. I used to tell kids, look, when you get to school, no one ever took me up on this. When you get to school and you face that sort of challenge and you don't know how to deal with it, call me. Because most of those intellectual challenges are actually not even good intellect. Most of them are really kind of dumb. Because most of those really smart guys don't know anything about sound Christian doctrine. They have some shorthand guess that they're talking about. So how, what would keep them safe? Do they know someone that knows? I could try to train them all. 
you know, to be uh, high-level apologists. Some of them would love that, and some of them wouldn't be able to handle it. How do they survive? They know somebody who knows. In this room, I just look around, and some of you guys I know really well, some of you guys I don't really know at all. But here's what I know. The collective doctrinal Christian wisdom that is sitting right here right now could keep anyone safe from any wind of doctrine. What matters is do you know it and do you know them? And do they care enough to help you when you need it? And are you not too proud to ask? What's the quality of our fellowship is the thing. The thing. And so, you should grow up. We should grow together into the mature man together and then we're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by human cutting craftiness deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head speaking the truth in love I think of this as sort of the blood supply of the body of Christ. The communication of the truth in love. And this covers some broad territory. I mean, if we talk about the truth, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the reality of God's blessing to us in Christ. We're talking about the atoning sacrifice of Christ, the healing resurrection of Christ, the risen intercession of Christ that we all enjoy even when we don't notice we have it and the speaking that we were having a little sidebar conversation this afternoon and I said something like I think uh, the the basic nature of all Christian disciplines all Christian devotional life goes like this Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, right, Jesus. I was forgetting there for a second. And this is what we do. This is why we have church. We gather together. We rehearse the good news over and over and we explore every tiny channel of it and we learn to we learn it and we know it and we share it and we don't just talk about it we sing it it's been so great I always love it being in a group of men singing because I just love the sound of that it's great and I remember I went to a big pastor's conference at Moody Bible Institute way back in the day. You know, it's most, almost entirely an audience of men, like 800 men singing, you know, Great is Thy Faithfulness or something like that. Oh. 
here's the thing about the gospel. It's so good, you can't just talk about it. You're going to have to sing together. I was noticing while we were singing uh, tonight, I think, but maybe earlier, that I'm singing about myself here. I, 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 you know, I'm talking about how, what Christ has done for me. And, you know, I'm, obviously I've gotten myself obsessed in the last few days with the us-ness of being a Christian. And, but then I said, here we are. We're all singing the I, the, the individual word, but we're all singing it together. And it's true of each of us. And when we sing it together, it's true of all of us together. I just, it's cool. It's like, well, I used to think, you know, we're not English, but in England, you sing for your football team. Why don't you just cheer like normal people? You sing. And you, you know, you've heard this, right? The stadium full of mostly men singing out the fight song of their team. That, there's nothing quite so unifying as that. Oh, and you know what? You, you sing, you sometimes, if you can handle it, you sing harmonies. You're not all singing exactly the same thing. And yet, it goes together. And that's even more beautiful music. The book of Ephesians is going to, we're going to talk about this tomorrow morning about singing in the life of the church. But there's a unity in it. We're speaking the truth in love when we speak to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. When we celebrate the communion together, that rehearsal of the saving sacrifice, that, yes, I'll have that, please. That ceremony in which we do nothing but receive Christ. Speaking the truth in love. I think this also relates to uh, the honesty of our fellowship. Here's the thing about fellowship. You know the word koinonia, the word for fellowship in the New Testament. You know its basic meaning is to share. In at least one occasion in the New Testament, Paul calls an offering a fellowship. It's a very concrete fellowship. And the description of the fellowship of the church, say in Acts, the end of Acts chapter 2, where they had all things in common, they were shared freely. One person had a need, someone else had the resources. Here's what, that's what fellowship is. It's resources flowing to need. It can happen in literally innumerable ways. And it's not all about the teaching of the scriptures. It's not a Bible study. 
necessarily, though that is one case of it. It's a bunch of guys going over to the shooting range and sharing that fun experience. They're sharing it. It's simpler than we think. But the quality of sharing means resource flowing to need means communication. My resources don't flow to meet your need if I don't know it. And vice versa. That means a certain amount of opening up that we're probably not totally comfortable with. Because that does mean I'm called upon to admit my needs. And to get my wallet out for somebody else. neither of which we really are enthusiastic about to begin with. But if we learn that the expression of the love of Christ in the body of Christ is the biggest of all deals, what's mine is yours. If you need to know something that I know, I'm telling you. If you need some prayer, I'm praying for you. If I need a million dollars, I'm looking for you. If we want to engage in this ministry service and we need resources for that, we're all going to go, yeah, how can I pitch in? Whether it's financial, whether it's something else. If, I'm, if you and me are together and you need a ride somewhere, hop in. We're brothers. I mean, it's really that simple. We're brothers. If you need something I've got, have at it. Now, that doesn't alleviate us of the responsibilities of sound stewardship. It doesn't mean we waste stuff on things that aren't really needed. But we share. We share with generosity. We're learning to be as generous as God has been with us. That's a giant project. Speaking the truth in love. That means I'm willing to tell you when you're a screw-up and you're messing up this deal because we are all in a hurry to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I'm called, the scripture gives very specific directions about how to do that sort of thing, and you better be careful. That's really what it tells you. you know, look, when you go to correct somebody, you better be careful. Super careful. And we don't need to go into the details. But it does mean speaking the truth as needed to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then we grow up into him who's the head, the one new man. Then it says, from him, 
from him the whole body, joined and held together by what every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That word love is really at the heart of things, right? It's like we're, we want to become exhibits of the love we've experienced. And we want our church to be an exhibit of the love we've experienced in Christ. So that what Jesus himself said becomes true in our fellowship. Jesus said, this is how they'll know that you're mine by the, if you love one another. And when he gets to that one another bit, I'm like, oh, that wasn't what I expected. How will they know by how well we love them? No, how well you love each other. What is the strength of your bond? What is the wealth of your fellowship? How freely generous are you with one another? Could we actually describe your behavior as the behavior of loving brothers? That's the possibility that is held out to us here. That could be us. We could be that. This fellowship can exhibit the love that we've experienced. Each of us to each other, all of us to everyone else. It's a fantastic thing in recognizing and celebrating the comprehensive provision of God in Christ by the Spirit of every necessary resource. We can't go to God and say, hey, well, we do that, except you haven't given us something we need. He began the whole book by telling us he's given us everything. And so we've providing every resource in our fellowship, primarily the communication of love. We communicate love between us, around us. We recognize that we have been loved by the most spectacular love that could even, well, we couldn't have imagined it until we experienced it. And even now that we've experienced, it surpasses knowledge. And we are, because of the empowering ministry of the Spirit in us, we're starting to get a hold of this unbelievable, fantastic love with which we've been loved. And if this happens to us, we, we will be this. You won't be able to help it. You'll be going out of your way to make some little sacrifice for the benefit of your brother. 
you'll be fighting over him getting the front seat. The fullness of Christ is experienced and enjoyed together in the community of Christ. That's the point of this book. Now, the church is pictured here as a body. A body. A body, a living body. A body is an organism, not an organization. A body is an organism, not an organization. Now, bodies have a, an organization. They, they are organized, hence the word organic. But the body of Christ is not a business. Should not operate as a business. You, I, you guys all work in businesses. Here's how businesses operate. We pay you. And you do what we say while you're here at work. You are not hired by the body of Christ. You do not get paid. In fact, you're expected to work for free. For the fun of it. For the joy of expressing the love of Christ. That's not a business. If we try to organize it like a business, we'll screw it up. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Because we will be busy carrying out the program of our church and ignoring the fellowship of our church. It's hard to find a church that isn't messed up in exactly this way in the United States. Or, frankly, in many other places. It's an organism, not an organization. Now, given the focus of Ephesians on the church, we might expect in this imperative section, which we're going to really zip through tomorrow morning, uh, we might expect some advice about organizational instructions. How do you build a solid teaching plan in your church? That's how we do it. We have a we have a big conference on, you know, church building. It's all about well, you need this bit. You need a solid te- you need a youth ministry. You need a, this or that. How do you do that? How do you build a solid teaching plan? What kind of outreach program is needed? How how are you going to select leaders? How, uh, how are you going to organize your children's ministry? Or how, what's, what's going to be the way you conduct your worship service? You might expect that in the therefore section in a book that's all about the church. It is strangely absent from the book of Ephesians. You can't find any of that stuff. I would argue you can barely find it anywhere in the New Testament. There is a little bit of this, but very little. 
you know, we do have elders and deacons and stuff. There's a little bit of organizational matters in the Bible, but not much. And none in the book that is the ecclesiology of the New Testament. That should give us a clue. This might have an impact on how we operate in the church. And next time, we're going to talk about uh, the new life in the one new man. What are the things that Paul says when he addresses this? How can we take advantage? He's challenged us with this every part doing its part, with this primary priority, that's a bad way of saying it, with this priority on on the fellowship of the body. How do we take advantage of our opportunity to experience the fullness of Christ in the body of Christ? And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his amazing work of salvation his atoning sacrifice, his making of us into one new man in him, reconciling us to you, Father. Thank you for the spirit that strengthens us to these things, that enables us, that is the new life in us, in each of us and in all of us together. Lord, we pray that we might give real, diligent attention to watching after the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord, all of us have experienced church life in which that was devastatingly absent. And so, Lord, we pray for renewed hearts for strong faith so that you really fully occupy us so that we can begin to grasp and then to share the love with which you have loved us. Thank you, Lord, that you are always diligent and that you are building your church. We want to be a part of it. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.